Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. As you know, for Black History Month, I am segmenting all things Black history. And unfortunately, the first one for this month will be on our Black men in America. Protect the Black men. And I didn't know if I was going to do this episode or not. I thought about it and I said, you know what? I think this episode really, really needs to be talked about. A lot of you all have seen in the last weeks of the devastating news of yet another black man killed by the hands of law enforcement. And you ask yourself, when is this ever going to end? Is this the 20th century day instead of lynching that they did to our slaves back in the day to, to slaves? Is this what we do? We just, cops just shoot and this is just the equivalent of that, of what they do for 20th century? We just shoot off at African-Americans that are unarmed and not fighting back? So... Let's start with an article titled, The Challenges Facing Black Men and the Case for Action. Um, This article is from brookings.edu. And in the article, one of the Brookings colleague by the name of Camille Busetti quotes, to be male, poor, and either African-American or Native American is to confront on a daily basis a deeply held racism that exists in every social institution. That was something I really wanted to add on to this episode because in anything that our African-American men do, driving while black, outside of your supermarket, a convenience store, in the automobile vehicle, playing with a toy gun in your home, you are not safe. I wanted to add the definition of racism, and I went to UrbanDictionary.com, and racism is stated as a system in which a dominant race believe they are superior and benefit from the oppression of other races, whether they want to or not. At the bottom of the definition, as I scrolled through the website, it read, when black people are rejected from obtaining loans, they cannot build wealth for future generations. When they are refused home loans to move into white neighborhoods, they remain in poor neighborhoods with depressed infrastructure, Their kids go to underfunded, overcrowded schools, drop out, and with no jobs prospects, many end up in jail. Upon release, they cannot get decent paying jobs. They remain in poor areas. Their kids go to underfunded, overcrowded schools. The cycle of poverty continues generation after generation. That is the reality of racism. And... You know, reading that part really had me thinking that 
For some that grow up in neighborhoods that are so impoverished, all they see around them is drugs. And that is the way some are able to get by. And they continue repeating the system. They see their parents struggling, their mom, you know, raising two kids, and they, you know, they want to help out in any way they can. And like they say, you know, fast money is never good. You grow up where you know, hey, I may not be getting a decent meal tonight. So let me see what I can whip up in the kitchen. We got bread, we got sugar, we got honey. That is what it is. You know, your parents are working two to three jobs just to make ends meet. And you are raised in this environment where all you see are dope dealers or people up to no good. And you're either alive or you're dead. And if you're alive, you're probably doing some illegal things. And it's just a matter of time before you get caught. And I'm not saying this is a case for everyone that grows up like that. But from what I'm gathering, from what I just read, it is sometimes very hard for some people to get out of a situation that that's all that they know. They go to schools in the neighborhoods that they grew up in, where everybody looks like them, everybody has the same type of issue. Look, you know, I can't get out the hood, I can't get out of this neighborhood. You know, my parents are barely making anything. And then when they finally do, and they wanna come back and actually support their community, there are others that are envious and then decide to shoot them and then that person is now having a funeral. For those that are able to get out, which there are a lot, I like that they are able to still support from afar. Maybe they know the neighborhood is just that bad that I, they don't want to come back, but they find a way to get those out of those conditions into a better environment. And that's all we can do. What we need to do is create a better system where we can have opportunities for lots of students, parents, to be shown other ways of getting out of their current situation. I know LeBron James has a school that he built in his uh, neighborhood where he's from, Akron, Ohio. We need more people that are able to bring these things, important businesses or important um, arts and crafts, just anything for others that don't always have this opportunity to get, you know, maybe create a STEM um, program where underrepresented children, kids that probably wouldn't get this opportunity, have the opportunity to learn about the STEM program, right? Those that are into the arts, where there is Maybe it's theater or maybe it's dance. There is a school built in the neighborhood for students to know what that's like and that there is an opportunity outside where you're from. Offer scholarships and grants for students to get out of where they're living. Things like that is what we need more of. I know we are doing it already, but we just need more of that. More grants, more opportunities where people can see a way out. You know, uh, we speak on HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and how lots of students want to go to where they have people that look like them as well. And nine times out of 10, most people will say that the HBCUs are what made them who they are. They were around professors that actually wanted to see them succeed. 
they weren't just a number, but they were an individual that professors and faculty were able to remember their names and grant them, them these opportunities that they probably would never have had had they went to probably a different university, to be honest. So let me read out some stats here for you regarding our black men. According to the National Center of Education Statistics in 2019, starting with education, there were only 28% of black men ages 25 through 29 who had their bachelor's degree or higher. Um, Now, in comparison to 30% of black women and over 40% of white women and nearly half of white women, that's the comparison, at the graduate level, And above, only half as many black men have a master's degree at 4%. And as a black woman, 9%. White men, 8%. And white women, 13%. Those statistics are pretty low. Education is key is what we all hear. Education is so important to have because it advances you to opportunities that you probably wouldn't get in the door without those credentials, I would say. I hear a lot of it's not what you know, it's who you know. That is true. And then there's also, you may have these education qualities, but the experience is what I'm looking for. And so you look at these numbers or percentages, excuse me, and like I said, that is pretty low compared to other races out there. We have to do better. And that's why I think implementing more of those educational opportunities that I spoke on, such as building a STEM program or having an academy where individuals can go and learn more of what that means. Have a uh, arts performance theater center where students that are into that can go do that, that as well, and so on and so forth. All right, so I want to just read a little bit more statistics here. The black men that are raised by low-income parents face twice the risk of remaining stuck in intergenerational poverty. We're looking at 38%. And as a black woman, that's 28% in terms of their individual income. According to the Bureau of Justice data, our black men have a higher chance of being incarcerated. Black men make up the largest share of prisoners. Part of the cause is that black men are uniquely stigmatized. So if you all have not uh, followed me on my YouTube channel, be sure to do that. Uh, I'm at Unapologetically Mahogany. It's the same as my podcast. So my last episode, I went for Martin Luther King Day to volunteer with the St. Louis Urban League. And what that meant that we were either going to be handing out, you know, food items to low-income citizens in that area. Or you could be going inside and doing data entry work. So there were tons of volunteers, y'all. I mean, there were so many. I don't even think we needed all of them. And so instead of staying out there and volunteering and putting food into uh, individuals' trucks, 
I went in and did data entry. It was, it was cold, and so this was a, an easier way for me to get inside and stay nice and warm. So on these forms, it had the demographics of everyone that was coming through the line to get, you know, food items. It had their race. It had their total income. It also had how many people were in the household. And just seeing all of the forms that came through, it was sad. I had the majority were under either 10000 or between 10000 to 20000 a year is what their annual income was. And they usually had about three to four people in the household. And the year, date of birth, excuse me, range, some were in their early 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so I imagine that there were probably some, if they were in their 60s, were having kids, grandchildren that live with them. And then it also acts for race, like I mentioned. And out of all of the applicants that I received, there are probably two, no, there are probably four that were white and the rest were African-American. And I know I definitely did at least, I would say 100 to 150 of those forms as I'm inputting the data entry. Everyone either wrote African-American, black, or there were about two or three that actually wrote the word Negro. And I remember one of my counterparts said, look at this, this person actually wrote Negro. And we looked at the year that they were born. And it's, it was sad to see that at that point in time, when they were born, that is what they were known as. And they still consider that to this day, that that is how they are identified as Negro and not African-American or Black. And when you see the total income that these individuals are making, and they're living in an area that is impoverished, they probably don't have a way out. And so they were saying the um, St. Louis Urban League um, workers were actually telling the volunteers that, you know, every year they get so many people that are just waiting in line, waiting in line for this opportunity, because we don't know when their next meal was going to come. And sometimes they say there are people that are lined up for the night before. I mean, this event did not start until one o'clock and it ended at three. And it was nonstop, nonstop. So when we talk about low-income parents and how the black men that are raised by low-income parents are facing twice the risk of remaining stuck in intergenerational poverty at 38%. That to me is still too high of a percentage. Now, let's switch gears and just mention some of the black men that we all came to know due to police brutality. Because unfortunately, when we have young men that grow up in these impoverished neighborhoods. For some, there is no way out for them because they don't feel like there is any hope. They probably have never seen anyone that's given them that opportunity or that sense of hope that they can too get out of this environment. Now, the black men that we're going to be talking about, I can't say for sure whether they all grew up in an impoverished neighborhood. But what I can say now that I'm switching gears is that Black men have just been targets for so long. 
just because of the color of their skin. So these men that I'm going to discuss, they gain headline news, causing a stir protest and demanding for police officers to be held accountable for their actions. Those that have killed these black men. And now we're actually taking a stand and asking for those that are in law enforcement that don't have the necessary skills, are no good to also be released or be held accountable for their actions. For anything they may have done that probably has never seen or gained a spotlight on national news. So according to an article titled From Eric Gardner to George Floyd, 12 Black Lives Lost in Police Encounters That Stoke Mass Protests. And uh, this is by Bill Hutchinson. And there's a video on the link as well by Jesse DiMartino. So I want to talk about the time I remembered. And this was in 2014, I remember watching a black man on the ground saying, I can't breathe. You all probably know exactly who I'm talking about. His name was Eric Garner, who had been confronted by police in Staten Island for being accused of selling untaxed cigarettes. He was unarmed, but yet still shoved to the ground. He had mentioned how he was tired of just always being accused, you know, all these cops swarmed him. He is unarmed, nothing in his hand but some cigarettes. And I think they've ran into him a couple of times. They managed to get him on the ground. One of the police officers put him in a chokehold. And he died. He was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And not one single police officer decided, let me not do this. Hey, do not put him in a chokehold. No one helped him as he lay down with no oxygen in his body. This, unfortunately, would be, the, would be the first of many that I would see. Little did I know. I remember when I saw the video, I was sad, y'all. I think I, I, I did cry. As I saw it on TV and I, I didn't know that I would continue seeing this. There was evidence from a witness who had recorded this video of Eric Gardner saying, I can't breathe and he's on the ground. And the case was presented to a grand jury. However, none of the officers were indicted. None of them. And this is why there's protests, the outrage of African-Americans and others that stand with us that don't feel like justice is served when these police officers are getting Nothing. They're not getting any time behind bars. They're not being held accountable. And so you know what happens? It continues and continues. Because the police officers are saying, well, this police officer shot and killed this guy. This one put him in a chokehold and they got released. Well, heck, I can do the same thing and I'm not going to have anything happen to me either. Right? Nothing at all. So I'm just a few older, few years older than this gentleman that lost his life in the stairwell of his residence. Now, I didn't know much about this certain individual. I don't know if it didn't get a lot of media attention, but he had, he had just got his hair braided. His name was Akai Gurley. This happened in New York. There were two officers that were on foot patrol 
And one of the officers had just fired a single shot inside of this dark stairwell. Unfortunately, it hit this unarmed brother. And it led to his untimely death. The officer that killed him during some more research was a rookie officer. He was fired and just received a slap on the wrist. He was convicted of a criminally negligent homicide and was sentenced to five years of probation and 800 year hours of community service. This police officer, I don't give a crap if he was a rookie officer or not. He killed a man. We won't even say black man. He killed a man. This man will never, ever see his family again. That's it. Done. Okay, so I had a quick pause, but I am back. Okay, so we're going to be talking about another African-American that we all know very well. This gentleman was in his mid-20s, and that's all he ever lived to. Freddie Gray was his name. He was taken into police custody in Baltimore on April 12, 2015, for possessing a knife. He was running away from the cops, and they eventually caught him. Or, I'm sorry, he had ran as soon as he saw the cops coming in his direction. Uh, They eventually caught him, handcuffed him, and they put him in a police van. Um, As they were taking him to the station, he sustained a spinal injury and went into a coma. So let's be clear. They threw him in the truck. And he was not positioned correctly in the back of the vehicle, which is probably would cause the spinal injury in the first place. If I recall, he needed assistance and was in the back calling for help, and no one came to his aid. Gray unfortunately died in the hospital a week after his arrest, where his death was ruled a homicide. The six Baltimore police officers faced criminal charges in Gray's death, ranging from manslaughter, second-degree assault, misconduct in office, and false imprisonment. And guess what, y'all? All of them were cleared of the charges. Which means they're still working up until their retirement as a police officer because none of them were held accountable. Imagine sitting in your apartment having ice cream and then someone comes in your home and shoots you dead. That was the story of Bothman Jean. He was just 27 years old. He was an accountant whose life was cut short On September 6, 2018, Dallas police officer Amber Geiger entered, entered his home thinking it was her home and thought Jean was an intruder. In October 2019, a Dallas County jury convicted her of murder and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Here's my thing. Just 10 years? That is nothing. She went into his apartment and shot, thinking it was her apartment. How does that happen? (coughs) You're walking up. I don't know, y'all. You know, I really want to say intoxication. You just went to the wrong apartment. I I don't know. Um, I've never went to, when I lived in the apartment, I never went to the wrong 
the wrong door. Never. I mean, even at nighttime, like I knew which one was my apartment. However, there are people that do. Probably, I'll give y'all the benefit of the doubt. But 10 years, that's a slap on the wrist. She will still be able to live her life and he will not. So due to all, all, and all these people that I'm talking about, they're all black men, all black men that had purpose and their purpose was taken too soon. So Ahmaud Arbery, which we know was huge, 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 huge. We saw days, months talking about this story. I don't really enjoy running anymore because I'm, I'm a little nervous. Like, where am I running at? Am I working on a track? Am I running, excuse me, on a track where there's other people that look like me? Am I running on a track where it's for work? Or am I running on a track where it's just like in this open area? Ahmaud Aubrey was just running in his neighborhood, literally running for a jog. On February 23rd, 2020 in Satalia Shores, Georgia, near his home in the city of Brunswick, two white men thought that he was basically stealing from a house that was being constructed. So two white men decided to take matters in their own hand and decided to make a citizen's arrest as they saw Aubrey looking at the house. Aubrey then began running after inspecting the house, just continue on with his normal run. One of the white men was a retired police officer and decided to confront Aubrey probably wondering what he was doing at that house. Arbery was trying to, you know, set free, like, dude, what are you doing? Apparently, the retired police officer and his son said that Arbery matched the description of a burglar who had been targeting homes in the neighborhood. You ever notice that? Black men are always being killed at some for, oh, they matched a description. What the heck? Like, look at the description and then look at the black men before you commit a crime. We all don't look alike, y'all. So there is a struggle with Arbery and the retired police officer. Arbery was trying to get away and the white police officer shot at Arbery. Unfortunately, the, the shot was fatal. Oh. According to Wikipedia, on August 8th of 2022, Travis and Gregory McMichael, the father and the son, were sentenced to second life terms for committing a federal hate crime. Travis received additional 10 years and his father, Gregory, seven years in addition to their life sentences. Brian was sentenced to 35 years in prison. So when I heard about this story, and I heard about the gentleman and how they took matters in their own hand, and under a friend who was recording the video as it was happening and never said, you guys, no, 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 stop. He's just running. Well, black, if you want to put it that way. But we shouldn't even have to say that. He was running. He was jogging. Leave him alone. We are not police. Why are we entertaining this? No. Uh, it's frustrating because you wonder how many more times... Are we going to have to keep seeing this happen? As a black African-American woman, I am exhausted. I'm tired of seeing all of these stories. 
in the media. It's so, so, so just routine to see another story, another story. And you're like, oh, another one? Okay, how'd this one end? And I don't want to feel that way. I sometimes don't even want to look at the news because I'm so enraged or just so full of like, I'm just so upset, frustrated, and I don't want to, you know, look at others in a negative light, right? Because I'm like, everybody is not the same. All cops aren't the same. All white people aren't the same. There are some good human beings out there. But the sad truth is for some people, some of our people probably feel like one of them is bad. They all bad. And it shouldn't be that way. But you see so many countless times of the murders happening to these African-American men. (sighs) The pandemic was raging. You know, everyone was home waiting for the virus to end. I will never forget 2020, the pandemic hit. Corona was out there, y'all, in full effect. I was nervous. I was thinking I had it. I was watching the news every day, seeing the numbers go up, checking in on my family and friends, you know, and and just seeing how everybody was doing, their well-being. It was the first time I felt like I was home for so long. You know, I was working from home. I never had worked from home. And I was like, this is fun. But it was like, but it's not because people are dying out there. And that's why we're inside. George Floyd, who we all know, everyone saw his death because we were all home during the pandemic. So people weren't doing much. They were homeschooling their children, eyes glued on the television, Netflix, Hulu. I don't know what else is there. Peacock, um, HBO Max, I don't know, Disney Plus. I don't know if I mentioned that. Apple, that's one, right? I believe so. You name it, just all those and more. BET Plus. Uh, or your regular cable, whatever it may have been, watching you know what, anything on there, movies, talk shows. Anyways, George Floyd, he was right there on our TV screens. He was at a convenience store, and the clerk called the cops on him because he was paying with a counterfeit $20 bill. That's what was told. Police officers showed up. Floyd was in the car, in his car, when he was confronted not harming anyone or anything. I get it. Right? It was a counterfeit $20 bill. That's what they said. All cops had to do was probably, hey, you know, um, I don't know what cops would have done, but just like, hey, why didn't the clerk say, hey, this was a $20 bill. This isn't correct. This is counterfeit. I can't accept it. Was it after the fact? And was it like you just couldn't go out there and confront the guy? So you called the cops to do it for you. However, the thinking of the clerk was the cops came, confronted the man, or confronted George Floyd, excuse me. He was escorted. Next minute, you see him on the ground with Officer Derek Chauvin, who was on his knee for nearly nine minutes. And in that video, you see him smirking like he is enjoying every bit of seeing George Floyd on the ground, yelling for his mom. He yelled more than once. Apparently, when I followed more of the story, I found out that George Floyd and Derek Chauvin did have an inter- in, uh, a interaction before. They interacted before, and it wasn't pleasant. Apparently they did not like one another. I think George Floyd used to be their security at a bar or something like that. And uh, him and Derek Chauvin did not, um, they weren't at peace with one another. So I think when Derek Chauvin saw who the gentleman was, I think for him, it was more of, oh, this is going to be fun. And it's never fun when you're 
on your knees or you're shoving your knee to the back of his neck for nearly nine minutes. I don't care how much you don't like someone. That never gives you the right to kill someone to where they, you are harming them. Chauvin was fired from the police officer or police force, excuse me, within days of the incident. Uh, as we all know, George Floyd uh, was taken to a hospital and pronounced dead because he was lifeless at this moment after he was on his neck for nine minutes, nearly nine minutes. He couldn't move. He was handcuffed. And that's the thing that makes it worse is the fact that you handcuffed our brothers. They cannot do anything. You have them laying on the ground and you're still doing things to harm them when they can't do anything. So Chauvin was arrested on May 29th and initially charged with third degree murder and manslaughter. The third degree murder charge was later upgraded to second degree murder. The other three police officers that were involved because they just stood there and watched as he had his neck, his knee on his neck, they are also fired from the Minneapolis Police Department and on June 4th were arrested and charged with second degree aiding and abetting felony murder and second degree aiding and abetting manslaughter. So uh, my thing is, before I bring up the last and final one that we're going to talk about, when we see one, po- one person doing bad, we see like this is not what we are trained to do. Why doesn't anybody else stop that person? I don't care if they are the most experienced. They have been on the police force for this long. Somebody has to be like, what are you doing? Two, three in the group have to be like, this isn't right. There is video recording of George Floyd on the ground with his hands behind his back in handcuffs. And not one of those individuals involved are saying anything to this Mr. Chauvin. Hey, man, I think it's enough. He can't do anything. You got him, you know, handcuffed. Just, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. It makes me think, so if, you know, one of them jumps over a bridge, are you going to jump over it too? So no, let's bring it to this year. You know, there are so many deaths that aren't even talked about, but there are so many other black men that have lost their lives to gun violence, to police officers, to a whole bunch of things that we probably just will never know because they don't make it to media, to the to the major headline news such as CNN and Fox and those outlets. So we are here yet again demanding justice for yet another brother, Tyree Nichols, who we all know and have seen video coverage, interviews of his family for the last few weeks. So I remember at my job, this was like two weeks ago, I didn't know what the story was on. All I saw was these five black officers plastered on this TV screen at work. And I was like, dang, what's going on? Didn't pay it no mind, right? Then another day I would see these five black officers just on TV screen. No, like, dang, I've never seen anything like this. We're like, what do these five black officers do? And I started looking more and I'm like, they beat up a black man? And in my head, I was like, for what? Why would they do that? And I was like, let me read up more on this story. So there are five black officers who showed no decency, beat this 29-year-old Tyree Nichols to death, y'all. They used a baton, kicked him in the face. 
pepper sprayed him. They never read him his rights, nor let him even know why he was stopped. He was just blocks from home. He was driving home, they said, from watching the sunset. They said he loved skateboarding. He just loved watching the sunset. They said he was a good, decent human being. Didn't want no trouble, didn't cause no trouble. Just seemed like an all-around fine young man whose life was taken from him too short. He was driving home. Cops decided to stop him. He asked, what did I do? And they just start beating him. And I, I can't understand or imagine what he was going through at that moment in time. But I know he must have been scared. They said he called out for his mom more than once, hoping that she could hear him. And in one of the reports I was reading, she was saying how she just had like terrible stomach pains, like not realizing at that time when she was experiencing that they were killing her son. So the saddest part about the story, I mean, there's so many parts about it. That's like just so sad. He was not a threat to anyone. He was unarmed. And like I said with the others, everyone, you know, it's just they're not caring. They're trying to, you know, adhere to the rules of what police officers are saying. And you have these police officers that are taking advantage of their badge, of their position. And so these five officers were charged with secondary murder, kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression. They were all fired from the police department. I mean, within, it didn't seem like they took long to fire these five black men. And I don't like to bring up race, but unfortunately in this world, in this time of year, time of time, you have to, you have to bring up race because it is what it is. Like these five black officers were literally, you know, terminated from their job, fired from the police department. But yet, when we have white officers do this to our black men, they're just, you know, let go, you know, but like with, you know, just not where they're on the police force, but they're just, you know, let go for the time being as, you know, they work this out, right? They work out whatever has happened with, you know, the, the, the situation at hand. They're not immediately fired. These black five officers were fired, like fired, you know? Fired, like fired, like the job and them no longer go hand in hand. They are not together anymore. <sighs> so Reverend Al Sharpton, who we know is a huge advocate, right, for um, just fighting for what's right. You know, civil rights activist who's always there speaking at every type of indecency that has happened to our black men that make headline news. When the Buffalo shooting happened, with the Buffalo supermarket shooting happened, he was there with the family, condoling, you know, offering his condolences and speaking about, yet again, the, the census shooting that took place. So with this case, Reverend Al Sharpton said that the police officers are a disgrace to our race. And that's what hurt the most, is that all five black officers are black. You know, you always see police brutality with black unarmed men and a white police officer. But in this case, it was the opposite. 
It was a black man that had been beat to death and five black officers who did it. I am embarrassed because I am a black woman. I'm embarrassed when I see these things on TV because it's like, when is it going to stop? They say that this is not the first time that these police officers have gotten away with things like this. It's just this is the first time that they probably actually killed an individual. And then this individual made major headline news. Cameras were all around. They said that these police officers didn't even have their cameras on. They were telling him a command to do and he already did it. But they were still actually telling him, put your hands on, you know, put your hands behind your back. But they already were. So they're able to still continuously beat him. So I think what it was is they didn't want their cameras on because they didn't want people to know that he really was doing what they were telling him to do. So they figure if they don't show their cameras, it'll look as if he wasn't following directions. So that's why he's getting the repercussions that he's getting. So the national media coverage was swift on this one. And I don't know if it was because they were black. You know, I want to say it was. I mean, their faces were plastered on the news. And then we're hearing that there are more people that were involved that were not black, and yet their pictures aren't plastered on the news, like how these black five individuals were. So for some of the media, the narrative was clear. The police are generally brutal, and thus must be, there must be a dramatically, and thus must be dramatically curbed, excuse me. So MSNBC's Mighty Hassan said, the issue here, as plenty of people have pointed out, is not black versus white, it's blue versus the rest of us. Uh, police officers have this code. I don't know what it is because I'm not a police officer where they all stick for their, they all protect their own, basically, right? They're going to do whatever they can to protect their own and make sure that they don't go down without a fight. But this was too much. This right here was just too much. I think it went, it went over. It, it, It just, and you see the video and I watched it one time and I went to bed and I couldn't even sleep. I was just there thinking like, can't believe they did this. I don't know if they meant to kill him. I think probably they just meant to beat him up pretty bad and it ended up where he was basically bleeding. I believe internally and, and that's what caused like all the blows to his head. I mean, they were kicking, kicking him, then using the baton, then pepper spraying. He tried to run once and, and didn't get away. It's alleged that Tyree Nichols was either in relations with one of the police officer's ex-baby mothers. Ex is what I see before I see baby mother, which means they're not with them. I don't know the true story of, uh, you know, of like, was he dating the girl? Was he just, did they just work together? Because I heard that they worked at FedEx. Was he trying to tell her that you need to leave him? I don't know. But when I watched the video before I heard all the news, I knew that it had to be more personal than, oh, this is just a random traffic stop. The way how they took him out the car and just started beating him. I don't know how long they had been stalking him because that's what I want to call it. Because how in the world do you know he's driving at this time of the night? You know, in this specific car, like everything just was like perfectly aligned. Like, were you watching him as he was, you know, watching the sunset then saw him get in the car and then was like, okay, he's getting close to home. It's now or never. And then for the police officers, you all got your guys back because... Hey, he's messing with our, our dudes, you know, ex-baby mama. So we're going to be here to help him. No one thought, man, this isn't a good idea. Man, you know, get your feelings out of this. You know, if they want to be together, let them be together. Like, 
now she's really not going to want to be with them because you just killed a man and now you're going to be locked behind bars. It wasn't right. And I need people to understand that one of the worst things that's happening is people are not able to control their emotions. Their emotions are speaking for them and they don't realize the actions that it's going to have after they've committed what they've just done. I'm now probably for sure the families of these police officers are probably like, what did you do? Why did you do this? They're all affected by it too. Tyree Nichols' family is for sure devastated because their son is never coming back. Their son, which was, they say, they spoke so highly of him, will never return. They said he wanted to be famous and his mom says he feel, she feels that he has done what he had to do here on earth. He is now known all over the world. In fact, Tony Hawk, which I, I remember one of his games when I was younger, I played it. He was a professional skateboarder. He is actually selling signed autograph postcards for $30. And half of the proceeds will go to the Tyree Nichols Memorial Fund. A few other celebrities are also donating, including Little Rail, Ari Lennox, and Sarah Bareilles. Uh, Ter- Tony Hawk, excuse me, um, also plans on building a skate park to keep Tyree Nichols' legacy alive because, like I said earlier, Nichols was an, also an avid skateboarder. So the donations part of who is donating, that all was found from TMZ. And then according to the insider, the information on Tony Hawk, the, you know, well-known skateboarder, he um, is using that money, you know, like I said, for the Tyree Nichols Memorial Fund, but also that money will be used to help cover mental health costs for the family and time off. Because this is going to be a while. You know, your family that is affected by this, the Tyree Nichols family, seeing this all over the news, all over social media, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of time. I just wonder, like, if people could control their emotions and not act off of what is presently shown in front of them, things would be a lot different. Things would be so much more different. I just feel for my black brothers. I have a brother, I have a father, a husband, nephew, that are all black. And you wonder and you fear sometimes that I pray and hope it never happens to any of them. We hear these words, violent, a threat, right? That's what some people uh, say when they think about our black men, right? But when is this going to change? Just imagine if we did not have cameras and video, how many more of these crimes would go unnoticed, would go unpunished? If you're tired of talking about racism and inequality, imagine living it. Every day, you're going out. You just want to walk. You're getting stopped. Why? Because you match the description of someone that they're looking for. Why? Because they just want, you know, police officers just want to get into something and they just want to shoot and kill someone. For what? What did this person do? You know, we have protesters that are always out there with signs saying no justice, no peace. Hands up, don't shoot. MLK, some important quotes that he did. He said, was injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Another one he said was, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to carry. And, you know, you think back to all these civil rights leaders that just wanted to see equality. We're still begging for that now. And we still don't have it. 
I want it to be a day where we don't have to worry about the color of our skin. That would be lovely. Where you don't have to worry about if you're a black man going out to the grocery store to get groceries for your family and come back alive. Where you don't have to worry about driving in your car and getting pulled over and then you're shot. You don't have to worry about just sitting outside the convenience store and not getting stopped. You just don't want to have to, to worry about those things anymore. You want to be able to be like, hey, I just want to go out and skateboard, minding my own black owned business and not get stopped because they need to check to make sure you, you know, you're unarmed. <sighs> I would love to say that one day things would get better. And I know they say it always has to get worse before it gets better. But here we are in 2023 and yet still major headlines of unarmed black men still losing their life. All I can do is hope and pray, hope and pray that the world will be a better place at some point and that our black men won't have to be worried about always watching their back about when is it going to be up for me?